Hello and welcome to another episode of Determination, Deliberation, and Dragons, a podcast where we talk about dragons with both determination and deliberation. I am Peter, as always, and today is another audiobook edition of our podcast, so this will go along with our discussion around My Story Frozen Together. This actually is the story. You will be listening to me and some friends reading it. I will narrate and my friends are going to provide some amazing voices that you will get to enjoy. So it's not just me reading alone again. My friends provide some amazing voices and I hope you enjoy. Without further ado, they will all introduce themselves and then we will jump right into our recording of my story Frozen Together, the second story in the overarching Pana and Wave Skimmer adventure. Hi, uh, I'm Ling Xu. I am the editor of Determinations of Relation and Dragons, and I will be reading Panna's Father and Varve. Hi, I'm Julie, and I will be reading the part of Sostan Galley. Hi, I'm Kristen, and I will be reading the part of Panna. Story two, Frozen Together. Now. The storm began while they were still in the air. Clouds had slowly accumulated around them, forcing Waveskimmer to fly ever lower to protect Pana from the rigid moisture. Lacking the same protective scaly layer that kept Waveskimmer insulated, Pana was cold even without being soaked by the clouds. By the time the snow began, they were shivering from head to toe. We need to find a place to land now, shouted Pana over the wind, hoping that Waveskimmer would hear them. Whether or not he did, Waveskimmer dipped even lower, scanning the ground for any sign of viable shelter. If there was any place to wait out the storm, neither of them could see it. They had left the forest behind them almost a day ago. The tree line had stopped suddenly, and the ground was once again covered with snow. Without anything around to protect them, gusts of wind swept upon them. One particularly violent gust threw Waveskimmer to the left. He spiraled for a moment before managing to catch himself and proceed in what may have been the same direction they had been traveling in originally. Waveskimmer roared, spitting blue fire into the storm. The wind whipped the fire around, and Pana felt it heat their sides before being extinguished by their damp clothing. Suddenly, Pana noticed an orange light flickering through the storm. They tried to communicate their finding to Waveskimmer. Whether or not they were successful, Waveskimmer flew closer to the light. It grew larger and stronger as they neared it. Waveskimmer seemed to change course and began to head more directly towards it. A mountain peak seemed to come out of nowhere. Waveskimmer dove out of the way at the last minute, only to be met with two larger peaks. If Pana was screaming, they couldn't hear it. They wove between five more mountaintops before arriving at the light. Emanating from a cavern, the light illuminated a small ledge cleared of snow adjacent to the entrance. Waveskimmer dropped onto the ledge and immediately began walking into the cavern. Inside, there was a fire burning in a small ring made from a brown-reddish material. Teeth chattering, Pana drew closer to the fire and stretched out their hands. Immediately, they felt warmer. Even Waveskimmer, with his insulated scales, sighed with pleasure at the exposure to the fire. But their comfort was short-lived. From the side of the cavern, a low voice called out to them, Would you two like to join me at my fire? Why, of course we would. So kind of you to ask. Why, it's my pleasure, of course. 
Whatever happened to manners? Then. But father, I don't know if that's the best idea. Hannah crossed their arms and slumped forward. Hopefully their father understood this time. Nonsense, Panna. Every villager, every villager needs to help provide the village with food. Food doesn't just pop out of the ground whenever you need it. This isn't a fairy tale. Panna rubbed their shoulders miserably. But I do help. I can help collecting eggs along the edge of the ice with the other. When have you ever returned to the village with any eggs other than the ones you tried smuggling to your room so you could see them hatch? Their father sighed in disappointment. No. And besides, you're not a child anymore. You haven't been for some time now. While you may have been given some leniency in the past, the elders have determined that it is your time to finally join the hunt this year, just as everyone in the village must do from time to time. No, no arguing. It's time to become an adult. It's time to share some of the responsibilities of living in the village. He turned, grabbed his second outer coat, and began to walk outside of the house. I'm scared, Dad. The sound of Pana sniffling stopped the man at the front door. He turned around and wrapped his arms around his child. As frustrated as they were, they still hugged him back. Pana, he said. My heart, if I could spare you from all the hardships of this world, all the cold and hunger, I would. But I am only a father, and it's not what I want that matters. My job is to make sure that you can face a world without me. And sometimes that means making you do things that you might not feel ready for. But I know, and I think that you do too, that you can do this. Later, when Pana told their friend Vare about what had happened, Vare was not impressed. But Pana, she said with her usual lack of delicacy, you do realize that if no one put themselves in danger to help gather food for the village, none of us would be able to survive. We all have to take risks so that we all can thrive. She took one of the sharpened icicles that she had brought with her and launched it at the snow person she had built. The icicle flew through the snow person, who now sported a slim hole almost directly in its middle. Though Pana couldn't see Vare's face through the heavy wool mask they all wore outside on cold days like this, they knew that she was probably smiling. Pana picked up their own icicle. Just as Vari had taught them, Pana stepped forward with their left foot and threw the icicle with their right hand. It somersaulted through the air and fell almost three lengths away from the target. Yeah, you need a lot of practice, said Vare. Is that why you don't want to go on the hunt? You don't feel ready? Maybe, Pana admitted. I'm not as skilled at hunting as you are. You're a natural. But me? It's just... isn't something I think I can do. What if I don't come back with anything? What if I fail when everyone is counting on me? Better to come back empty-handed than with bad meat. Remember those diseased wrigglers that were in the ice hopper that Ruznal brought back? I'll never forget it. I still see half the villagers running around vomiting in my dreams. Well, Vare said, reaching out a gloved hand to touch Pana's shoulder. Whatever happens, I know you will never disappoint us. You'll never disappoint me. Now, the first thing Pana noticed was the pockets. The woman in the cave wore thick pants laden with pockets of varying sizes. There were pockets from her waist all the way to her ankles. She also wore belts around her legs and waist that held even more pockets. Even her coat had multiple pockets. She wore two clear circles in front of her eyes. 
The circles were connected to each other by a thin black band. When Pana looked through them, the woman's eyes appeared much larger than typical human eyes. As Pana stood there, the woman pulled a small box from one of her back pockets. She opened it, flipping through thin sheets within the box, each adorned with strange markings on them. She also pulled out a piece of charcoal from a pocket about halfway down her right leg and began to create even more markings in the sheets. As she did so, she spoke slowly, enunciating each sound. New discovery does not seem able to communicate. No, no, Hannah said, shaking their head. I understand you. It's just, I was caught off guard. Correction. Discovery does seem to be able to communicate. She looked up at them, keeping the charcoal hovering over the box of thin sheets. Well, that makes things easier, doesn't it? I may have already asked this, but who are you? Pana. And this is my friend Wave Skimmer. Pana pointed to the dragon, who lowered his head slightly, glancing occasionally at the woman. Ooh, your friend? Human refers to large non-human as friend. Interspecies friendships? But I should introduce myself. Salston Galley, traveling archaeologist at your service. Salston held her hand up, palm facing outward, and splayed her fingers so there was a space between her third and fourth fingers. I learned about this particular greeting ritual when I was exploring an ancient settlement about three days? No, no, months. That ways. She pointed outside of the cave. Settlement? You've seen other people? Well, the people who lived in this particular ruin died out generations ago. But I've met living people here and there. Why don't we sit down around the fire and I'll tell you about them. Does your friend eat salted some kind of meat? Salston rummaged through a bag lying on the floor, pulling out some sort of meat that Waveskimmer politely declined in favor of a green leafy plant from Pana's food stock. Though Pana found it a bit exhausting trying to keep track of everything Salston said, they found her fascinating. She was clearly like Naka's husband, an experienced traveler who knew more about the world than anyone Pana had ever met. She told stories about a group of people living on a mountain so populous that they called themselves a city. One town was built on the side of a great basin of melted snow that she called a bay. People traveled across the bay in large boats that somehow floated above the melted snow. So what are you doing here? Asked Pana, looking around the small cave for any sign of something more exciting than snow. Is there a village nearby? Salston laughed. (laughs) Not to my knowledge. I haven't been looking very hard, though. I've been trying to find a secret somewhere nearby. It's been such a tricky little secret to find. What sort of secret? Salston opened what she had called a notebook the box that she had been writing in before, and turned to a page cluttered with small pictures and more of the strange markings that Pana couldn't interpret. Her finger traced a line from the corner of the page that slowly curled around what looked like various scenes of people and creatures. I found this mural in a cave, said Salston. I copied it into my notebook. Here we see what I call the apart. She held her finger above a scene depicting a group of people huddled together under a storm cloud. This is the adjacent. Her finger moved on to a new scene of the people standing before a pedestal with a tree on it just beyond the reach of the cloud. And this, of course, is the together. 
she pointed to a third scene of the people standing together alongside the tree, now holding aloft a small circle that appeared to be releasing some sort of energy, forming a circle around the people that the cloud could not penetrate. Waveskimmer glanced at Pana, squinting with one eye. Pana, too, was confused. What's that circle thing they're holding? I'm not sure we really follow. Of course you don't follow. You've only just started. But I have been following for years. And I've followed it here to this very spot. Salsen raised her arms to the cave ceiling, her array of pockets flapping with a sudden movement. The secret is here in this mountain, in this city. Then, there were two weeks of training and planning, and then Pana left with a group of villagers to go on their very first hunt. Their father saw them off at the edge of the village. Be careful, he said, nodding at them. I won't let you down, Dad. He sighed. (sighs) Pana, dear, you can never let me down. I know I've been harsh lately. I just want you to be okay once you need to look after yourself. But even if you come back empty-handed this time, and every time after that, I'm happy knowing you tried. You've worked so hard during training. My child, I am proud of you. The tense atmosphere of the last two weeks broke. Pana loved their father, and they knew that he loved them, even if Pana was not as strong or brave as the other villagers. They ran to him now and hugged him. I'll see you again, father, very soon, and I won't come back empty-handed. It was time to go. Vare grabbed Pana's arm, and together they walked with a group of villagers beyond the edge of the village towards the mountains. The trip was long. For over a week, the hunting group trudged through deep banks of snow and occasionally slipped on ice. On the second day, the falling snow turned into a blizzard. If not for the single rope connecting each villager by the waist, Pana felt sure that they would have been lost. The storm kept up for two days. Once it finally stopped, the villagers set out to one of their usual hunting grounds, a snowy plateau overlooking the frozen sea. Vare, who had been on a few previous hunts, told Pana that a colony of Permamir lived there. Sure enough, as they climbed over the edge of the plateau, Pana saw a small, white, furry creature poking its head out of the snow. It saw Pana and popped back down. Pana didn't manage to catch any Permamir that day. Vare caught a handful. I'll say that you managed to catch them if you want me to. You did sort of help lead me to that last one when you fell in front of it. She said, holding her icicle spear with one hand and a bag of permamir with the other. That would be nice, but I don't think that counts. You were actually responsible for getting all of them. The villagers all climbed down the plateau and set up camp for the night. Early in the morning, long before any of the other villagers were awake, Pana happened to open their eyes. They weren't sure why they had woken. They weren't aware of having any bad dreams, nor was there anything nearby the camp that may have disturbed them. Pana peered into the night, trying to figure out if anything was amiss. There was nothing, just the cliff face of the plateau. Some yorbacks were climbing the ledge, illuminated by a shimmering blue light embedded in the rocks. Pana lay down, ready to go back to sleep, and then sat back up. They looked at the cliff face again. The light was still there. Bari snored next to them, her face hidden by her hood. Bari would be useful to bring with them, just in case they got into trouble. But Pana didn't want to wake her. So they got up, stepped around Vare, and walked towards the cliff alone. 
They climbed up the steep rocks, making sure to avoid the slipperiest patches of ice. Hannah had misjudged how high the light was. From far away, it seemed to have been closer to the ground. Half an hour into their climb, Pana realized that it was much higher up than they thought. But just when they thought their arms would give out, Pana's hand reached a wider ledge. Pulling themselves up, Pana came to a giant hole in the cliff illuminated by the strange blue light. It sparkled along the walls, bouncing between icicles in a thousand different directions. They could not see how deep the cave was. They glanced out at the camp, imagining they could see Vare. Wishing that they could go back and grab her, but knowing that it would take too much time, Pana decided to head into the cave. Now, the mountain, or city, as Salston had called it, was too sheer to climb. Salston had tried scaling it, but the highest point she had reached was the cave they had found her in. The cave did not lead anywhere, but Salston insisted that somewhere at the top of the city, there was an entry point to get inside. You see, the snow was not always here. She had said. The snow falls constantly now, but not always. Not always. The city was here, as was the sun, just as it is in the south. But then it started to snow, and the city was covered, submerged. The snow is thickest towards the base, but up above, it may be thin enough for us to get through. Hana may not have had ample reason to trust her, but also had no reason to doubt her. They and Waveskimmer had talked the previous night about Salston's revelations. Neither knew how the archaeologist had gotten there, or what exactly the big secret was that she was looking for. But they had nowhere else to go right now, and so they decided to help her. After a quick breakfast, Pan and Salston climbed on top of Waveskimmer. Waveskimmer jumped out of the cave and into the air. With a magnificent beat of his wings, he took the trio up alongside the mountain. Pana gazed at the wall of snow, looking for anything that looked like it wasn't frozen solid. But for all their effort, they couldn't spot anything. They were about to tell Selston this when the archaeologist grabbed Pana's shoulders and yelled out, There it is! Waveskimmer leaned to his right, angling towards the peak. As they drew closer, Pana saw the narrow ledge that Selston had directed Waveskimmer towards, as well as an exposed gray wall. The wall was cold. Pana's fingers stuck to it for a moment and required some force to be pulled free. Dark lines were etched into it. As Pana stared at them, they seemed to move and form. The beast, Salston declared, holding her notebook up against the wall. The book showed the same creature, though this version was immobile. The creature's long tail curled around a body with two wings. Swirling lines emanated from the fanged mouth. Pana turned to Wave Skimmer. That looks like you, they said. Wave Skimmer nodded towards a second image in the book and then nodded at Pana. And that one looks like me. As soon as they said it, the second image appeared on the wall next to the first. The human, stated Salston. We need both to enter. She glanced hurriedly between Waveskimmer and Pana. This is the door. Pana couldn't see how it was a door. There was no handle, no indication of any sort of opening. But they stepped forward towards the image of the human as Waveskimmer walked towards the image of the beast. Suddenly, the wall changed. Instead of gray, the background blinked white. But the most startling thing was the human now standing opposite of Pana. Pana stumbled, and the human stumbled as well. As Pana threw out their arms to steady themselves, so did the other human. They looked over at Waveskimmer. He too was looking at another dragon, at himself. Pana looked back at the other human. Everything they did, so did the other human. 
It's you, whispered Salston. The city recognizes you. It welcomes you. Both the image of Panna and the image of Wave Skimmer glowed with a green light. They blinked a few times before fading back into the gray wall. The wall trembled. A crack appeared in its center, and the wall split in half, forming an entrance wide enough for Panna, Wave Skimmer, and Salston to enter. Then, Hana walked among a sea of stars. The light danced among the icicles reverberating around the cave. It was impossible to tell from where it came as it seemed to emanate from everywhere all at once, erasing all shadows. Moving deeper into the cave, the lights grew brighter and seemed to move with greater intensity. It was impossible to tell how long they had been walking for, though Pana had not tried to keep track. The entranceway led to a cavern with an ice bridge crossing over a bottomless chasm. Beyond that was a cavern with strange red ice. Whether the red color was part of the ice or something trapped within it, Pana couldn't be sure. The cavern beyond the red ice contained a single large sculpture of a... Dragon? Pana had only ever heard of the winged creatures. Every child growing up in the village had. It was said that the snow was a gift from the dragons protecting the villagers from the fabled desert to the south, which, if not for the snow, would expand forever until it engulfed the entire world. Hana had never seen a desert, let alone a dragon, nor did they know what a desert looked like. But they, like most people in the village, accepted the myths all the same. The sculpture stood on three legs, reaching out with a fourth. Its mouth hung in jar, and within it danced the white bluish light. Hana walked towards it. They could see their reflection in the sculpture. Their own brown eyes and skin stood out against the grayish-white scales of the dragon. Hana held out their hand and placed it on the sculpture. It moved. The sculpture, or rather, dragon, swung its long neck in their direction and leaped forward, its scales and spikes shaking with the movement. It brought its paw down on Pana, pinning them to the ground. Two bright green eyes stared at Pana, and it took all of their effort to keep their own eyes from straying to the dragon's sharp fangs. Pana trembled, shaking more violently than they could ever remember shaking. They were reminded of the feeling of being caught in a storm, not knowing when you will succumb to the elements, but that it is only a matter of time until you do. Protector or not, this thing looked like it could eat them in a heartbeat. And yet, nothing happened. Pana blinked. So did the dragon. Hello? They said. The dragon cocked its head to the side. If it had an eyebrow to raise, Pana was sure that it would be doing so right now. They tried again. Hello? This time, the dragon took its paw off of Pana, allowing them to sit up. It crouched back on its hind legs, never taking its eyes off of Pana. My name is Pana, they said, looking up at the dragon. What should I call you? The dragon didn't answer. Pana didn't know if it could. Its scales shimmered, and suddenly the grayish white was replaced with a deep blue that Pana had never seen, richer than any of the blues found in the ice in the mountain or nearby the village. The blue receded and was overtaken by a dark green before re-emerging once more. Pana reached out their hand, and the dragon reached out its paw. Placing their hand on its paw, Pana felt a wave of warmth stronger than the fires in the village wash over them. Pana, get away from that! The voice rang out through the cavern. Pana turned to see five of their fellow villagers standing at the entrance to the cavern, each holding a sharpened icicle. Bare was one of them. She stood at the back of the group, clutching her icicle with both gloved hands. 
Her mouth was covered by a mask, but her eyes conveyed the entirety of her fear. Panna looked into those eyes, but before Panna could tell her that everything was okay, the dragon whimpered. It glanced deeper in the cave. Panna tore their eyes away from Vare and followed the dragon's gaze. Multiple pairs of red eyes appeared at the end of the brightly lit cave. Then, with a thunderous roar, more dragons flew into the area. Panna felt themselves being pinned to the ground by the original dragon as the newcomers flew on towards the villagers. Though Panna heard screams, they themselves were not harmed. The dragon was not attacking Panna, but was actually shielding them from view. Its scales had turned the exact same color as the ice. The other dragons couldn't see Panna. There wasn't much time to appreciate that fact before Panna fainted. Much later, when the dragons had disappeared, Panna woke up. Scorch marks lined the cave. Bundles lay on the floor between them and the exit, but Panna forced himself to not look. Together with the dragon, they left the cave, flying out over the ice. Below them, the campsite was on fire. If Vare had survived the initial attack and made it back to the tents, Panna pushed the thought out of their head. Vare would be okay. If anyone could survive, it would be her. Finding the village was difficult. Telling the villagers what had happened was even more so. Standing alone in front of everyone, Panna felt the eyes of their father upon them. They couldn't tell what the man was thinking, nor did they have time to find out. The villagers were already grabbing their icicles. Now. The passageway lit up as they walked down it. With each step, the floor beneath them would beam up a new color of light that reflected off of the shiny material that the walls were made of. Faint shadows followed the procession. Do you know where we're going, Salston? Anna asked. To the depths! exclaimed Salston. The secret is contained far within the city, though there should be some more obstacles. Ah, like this. An orange orb blocked their way. Salston walked up to it, muttering to herself as she did so. After a moment, Salston jumped with excitement and placed her hands on either side of the orb. Fire spewed outward from the orb. Panna had no time to react. They watched as the flames gushed towards them, and then their vision went dark as waves skimmer through his wings around them, keeping the fire from touching Panna. Eventually, once the flames ceased, he unfurled his wings and Panna could see again. Salston, completely unsinged, stood next to where the orb had been. Now the passage continued unimpeded. Salston nodded at Waveskimmer. The act of protecting another soul is not something I have often seen during my travels. It is a great gift, a great gift. Let us continue. She walked forward. The next room was awash with a pale green mist. Pana felt a slight tickling sensation on their skin as they entered into the room. Their arms quickly became coated with green condensation. The path forward was beyond a chasm, the depths of which Pana could not see. They would need to fly across. Wave skimmer, you need to... Wave skimmer! Behind them, the dragon had fallen to the floor, his mouth open as he gasped for air. Panna ran to him, holding onto him with all their strength. Wave skimmer, it's okay, it's okay! But Panna couldn't think of how it could possibly be okay. They ran to the edges of the room, looking for anything that might signal how to save Wave Skimmer. There was nothing there. The walls were empty. The chasm was empty, except for a single red light blinking in the distance. Hmm. Mused Salston, making a point of very conspicuously rubbing her chin. Poison pours out of the walls, and then a light appears. Suspicious, isn't it? Maybe. 
There was really no way of knowing if the two were related unless Pana found out what the red light was. They turned and looked at their friend writhing next to them. There was really no choice. Pana jumped into the chasm. Though Pana couldn't see the bottom, they seemed to slow down the longer they fell. Their feet touched the floor with such delicacy that their legs didn't even buckle. Around them, the darkness persisted, but Pana could see the red light. It was shaped like a handprint, just as the previous light on the outer wall had been. Pana ran towards it and placed their own hand upon it. As soon as they did, the depths of the chasm flooded with light. Air blasted up from the floor, whipping Pana's hair about their head and forcing their eyes shut. When it subsided, Pana opened their eyes and found that the floor of the chasm had ascended back to the same level that Waveskimmer was on. The green mist had dissipated. Waveskimmer was still panting slightly, but he had risen to his feet and bounded towards Pana when he saw them, nudging them with his head. Oh, you. I'm so glad you're okay. I... I don't... It was a unique poison, said Salston, walking out from behind the dragon. It only affects non-humans. But you saved him, of course, and he is well. No need to worry. Let's continue on. Hold on a moment, said Pana, holding out a hand to stop Selston from walking past them. Waveskimmer, too, glared at her. I don't know if I want to keep going. You had mentioned obstacles, but I didn't know they would almost get us killed. I can't be responsible for Waveskimmer being hurt when I know I can prevent it. Waveskimmer nodded, curling his neck protectively around Pana. Selston laughed. Um, said Pana. Did you, did you understand me? We're not going forward. We're not risking each other's lives for some secret treasure or whatever it is. It can't be as important as Wave Skimmer is. No secret buried in an old city is. Salston continued to laugh and even had to sit down on the floor in front of them. (laughs) Uh Uh-huh! Yes! I was hoping you would say that! When Pana and Waveskimmer continued to silently stare at her, she continued, (coughs) You are right. The promise of anything is not worth the lives of those around you. Your friends, your fellow humans, the world as you know it, they're all precious. So precious. Life! And you two, you recognize that in each other. You don't want to continue on at the expense of each other, nor should you. And that is why you will be able to succeed. Now, come, come. I will lead you down the other path. Getting to her feet, Salston walked over to the wall. From her pocket, she drew a long metal rod with a few jagged protrusions on one end of it. She pushed it into a small hole in the wall and turned it. A portion of the wall swung inwards, and Salston beckoned them inside. We don't share this path very often. Personally, I find it a bit dull. It could do with a fire orb. They walked through the long passageway filled with images unlike any Pana had seen. Rather than the still figures they had drawn in the snow as a child, these ones moved, though they weren't like the reflections at the entrance to the city. As the images moved, their colors swirled together, forming new colors, even as each scene fell apart and transformed into the next one. The outline of a human walked down the passageway with them, going through each scene without breaking pace. It walked through upon a recognized as a forest, loping leisurely between the leafy trees. It then ventured out into what Pana could only describe as a smaller forest with trees that reached the figure's waist. Instead of branches, the trees were topped with a collection of ovals surrounding a circle. Past that diminutive forest, the being walked into the center of blocky buildings. The structures rose taller and taller the further the being walked. 
It began to pass other people and smaller animals that Panna had never seen before, though the being they were walking with never ceased its walking. The other people in the background seemed to stop and interact with one another. They paused between buildings and waved their hands at each other and occasionally hugged. Children were clearly playing with one another. The sky was a light blue and the sun shone clearly overhead. And then the images fell apart once more. But this time, they did not fade away completely. The bottom halves of the buildings remained, but the top halves had either disappeared or fallen amidst the people below, lying in crumpled ruins. Red tendrils of fire flew from building to building, even as more fell from the sky and others rose from the earth. People ran away from each other, amassing in small groups, which then turned and fought off other groups. Some of the animals in the previous images tried to join some of the people, but they too were pushed out, forced to fend for themselves. Symbols were etched into cloths and hoisted into the air. The people slowly morphed into these symbols, and soon Pana could not even recognize them as people. All the while, the image of the human they had walked the length of the passageway with continued on. It moved beyond the horrible scene and into a space devoid of color. Trees attempted to grow on the remaining buildings, but they withered and died before they could reach their full height. Here and there, Pana spotted villages, and though people walked within them, they never ventured outward. Creatures not at all resembling those they had passed in earlier scenes roamed the spaces between the villages. Dragons broke out from under the ice far to the north. This, said Salston, is the Hall of Histories. It shows the world as it was and how it is. What I am most curious of, however... She paused to look at Pana and Waveskimmer, in turn, as they stopped before a blank portion of the mural. Is what the world could be. Do you know what it could be? Asked Pana. Salston laughed. (laughs) Don't ask silly questions. Of course I don't know. But I have hope that the world can be better for everything that inhabits it. I believe that maybe, with some knowledge and some guidance, the people of each village can rejoin the world. Not just the world that they had set aside for themselves millennia ago, but the world that includes all people, all humans, all creatures, all life, and all of the components of the world. Worlds that exist together. And Wave Skimmer and I are some sort of chosen ones who are supposed to usher in this new age? Absolutely not. You can turn back and go home whenever you please. You can't be forced into any obligation, especially one to save everything. And, of course, there are others who have helped, are helping, and will help. This is a task too big, far too big, for a small human and a small dragon to do all by themselves. But I believe that you can, at the very least, help. Anna was confused. How were they and Waveskimmer supposed to help? They hadn't even known that there was a wider world until a few days ago, and they still didn't know just how wide it was. And even if they found other people, how were they supposed to unite them all when they couldn't even be sure that Naka, Ezra, and Sab were still alive after their encounter with the villagers from the north? They turned to Waveskimmer, seeking his opinion. He looked wary, but there was a light in his eyes that showed his determination. Though they had been running from what seemed like overwhelming mistakes, perhaps they could help someone else. After all, hadn't they helped Naka find a peaceful solution to his creature dilemma? Together, Pana and Waveskimmer followed Salston deeper into the city. There were more rooms with more images before they arrived at the epicenter. Salston performed a few erratic gestures that functioned as some sort of key. 
A slight hiss alerted them to an opening widening in the floor through which a cylindrical case rose. The case melted open, revealing a small, circular, polished stone hovering in midair. As Waveskimmer had no hands to hold it, it was Pana who approached the stone. They reached out, tentatively wrapping their fingers around the deep blue gem. This stone has been hidden here for ages. Long before any city ever existed, stones like this one were used to shelter humans and creatures of all sorts from the elements. Those who wielded them led masses of beings through the world, keeping them safe and connected to each other. Falston almost whispered as she spoke, her eyes glued to the stone. And then? The humans abandoned everything in favor of their cities, of their crude nations. Even forgotten underground, these stones allowed for the cities to grow and prevented the worst from happening. But they weren't enough. Nothing is so powerful that it can turn the tide of ignorance and greed. If used properly, though, maybe, they might help the world recover. Just a little. And how do we use the stone? Asked Pana. Use it? I think that's for you to find out. Falston chuckled. (laughs) I took you to the stone, but I can't do everything for you. Now, let's go cook up some dinner. I'm really tired all of a sudden. She limped on, breathing heavily, taking them back through the city along the same route by which they had entered it. Are you all right? Asked Pana. I'm fine, fine. Keep following me. That's it. Back in the cave, Salfin cooked with the help of Waveskimmer, who gently blew fire onto the food. Some of it was burned, but it tasted just fine. Anna sat quietly for most of the meal, only occasionally touching their food. The stone rested on the floor next to them. The light from the fire glanced off of the stone, forming different shapes as if the reflective surface was constantly shifting. Anna could swear the stone had been rounder when they were in the city. Now it had three edges jutting out of one side, like it was trying to be a triangle. They showed it to Waveskimmer, who peered at it curiously. He extended a talon and tapped it. The stone made no noise. Salston, how did you know the stone was in the city? Asked Pana, looking up from the stone. But Salston was gone. Pana and Waveskimmer darted to the edge of the cave to look for her, but she was nowhere in sight. They turned back into the cave and spotted one of the small brown sheets that had been in Salston's notebook. Pana approached it and held it up to the firelight. It held the image of the cave with an arrow pointing outward at an angle. Scrawled in the upper right-hand side were the words, Be well. What an odd way to say goodbye, said Pana. Waveskimmer nodded. They weren't sure they would have ever understood Salston, even if they were to spend the rest of their life studying with her. But maybe that was okay. They looked at the stone. It now had a fourth edge on the other side of it. Waveskimmer poked at it with his talon again. I think, said Pana, we should keep it. Maybe we can do something good with it. What do you think? Waveskimmer nuzzled his head against Pana and then licked them from toe to head, warbling in laughter as he did so. Miles above them, hundreds of brown sheets flew through the wind, flying in every direction as the storm continued to rage on. And now, bloopers. I, I can do angry, kid, Scottish, and Southern. 
this was very fun. Thank you. Um, I'd be happy to do it again sometime. Yeah. Well, you're our editor, so I feel like I can get you when. <laughs> they showed it to Wave Skimmer, who peered at it curiously. Let <laughs> me repeat that. You were the constant steady rock amidst the the <laughs> chaos of whatever I was doing. And Ling Shu, I love your dad voice. It yeah, makes that was so a good happy. dad voice. Yeah. <laughs> I can do like specific voices. Like I, I, I mean, there are certain characters who like I practice and I can do. So like, obviously Snape is fine. 